Hey everybody, it's good to see you all here live and online. Hope everyone is having a wonderful day. Now if you saw the favorites graphic that was rolling earlier, you saw that my name is Greg Stevenson. It is not Pastor Jason Roten. Last week, Pastor Jason uh, presented us a wonderful sermon, but I had a concern that because I was preaching after him, many people will get confused about who is who. So I wanted to provide you a tool today. So this is Jason. This is Greg. One more time. Jason and Greg. So hopefully if, uh, if that tool doesn't help you determine who is who, um, I will give you another tool that you probably remember me from wearing a Sapphire Guest Experience shirt uh, every Thursday and, and Sunday during our services. Uh, if you were new at any point during this past year, you probably remember me being that crazy guy in the sapphire shirt yelling at you from 50 feet away, hello, welcome to Calvary. Or possibly if you attended any of our outdoor services this summer, you definitely remember me because I was the one jumping out from behind the tree saying, hello, how are you doing today? And if you happen to have been new uh, any time this past year, you probably remember me uh, staring at you from a distance, kind of creepily, like, and, and you probably looked at like, oh, man, there's a, honey, there's a guy, short ball guy in a sapphire shirt. Uh, he is just staring at us. Are you sure? Yeah, he's definitely in a sapphire shirt, and it looks like he has something in his hand. Oh, my God, it's a pen and a piece of paper. He wants our contact information. You get the kids, I'll pull the car around. I have the pleasure of concluding our favorite series uh, today. Next week you'll be hearing from Pastor Zach again in his new sermon series. And we hope that you have thoroughly enjoyed the guest preachers these past five weeks. Now we've been joking that hopefully Zach has a congregation to preach to after we have finished our sermons. So hopefully after our last five weeks you still choose to make Calvary your home. But today I wanted to talk about one of my favorite passages in the Bible. As someone who loves to encourage people, I need to make sure that I am saying the right things at the right time to motivate people, to encourage them. I used to be a personal trainer and a strength conditioning coach, and I, I always used words that helped motivate them to achieve something they thought they could not achieve, to help them push through their physical boundaries, to push through the hard stuff. I used to say things like, I know you can do this. Or if you want to be better, you have to put in the work. Or I get them thinking, how bad do you want this? So i got to choose the right words to help motivate them and move them from point A to point B. Now sometimes we talk too much and we ramble on with pointless words that fall on deaf ears. We might not clearly say what we intend, sometimes creating confusion. The words we use can often come easily and quickly but its impact on others lingers, sometimes having a long-term effect. And that's why today I titled my sermon, Choose Your Next Words Wisely. It's difficult to establish how many words there are in the, in the English language. The language is always cho uh, changing year after year, decade after decade with the various cultures. In September of last year, Merriam-Webster Dictionary added 530 new words to the dictionary. Words such as, pickleball, or solopreneur, which is a combination of solo, entrepreneur. And often a single word has many meanings, 
such as the word break. I have a broken bone. Uh, she broke my heart. There's breaking news on TV about someone who broke the law. Or if you happen to grow up in my family, you often heard your older sister say, I'm going to break your face if you ever touch that again. But we're going to see what the Bible has to say about the words that we choose when we communicate with others. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he wrote a short letter. Uh, we have we comprise it as five chapters, and he wrote it to a very broad church that was dispersed across the region. But what's interesting about James was that he grew up being the half-brother of Jesus. And even though he grew up and he saw Jesus' ministry firsthand, he was not a believer that Jesus was the Son of God. It wasn't until after Jesus died and was resurrected that James came to believe in him. That James was actually in the upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended. That was when James had that, that, the commitment to Jesus at that moment. So he had a very unique history living with the Son of God but yet not believing until after Jesus died and rose again. And his letter is often referred to as a letter describing faith in action because he gives a lot of practical applications of how we are supposed to act and how we are supposed to treat one another. If you would like to open your Bible or your Bible app to James, it's, uh, I believe there's 27 books in the New Testament. James falls right there in that 20th spot, right after Hebrews. And we're going to dig into chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> now James opens chapter 3 by putting leaders, teachers, pastors in the spotlight because people look to them for spiritual guidance and wisdom due to their position of influence. Verse 1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. So our first main point today is that you should know your influence. Those that hold positions of influence are called to a higher standard, especially in the church, as James is alluding to. Church leaders are called to convey God's truth and we want to make sure that we tell it accurately. However, I believe the same principle applies to everyone else that holds an influential position. And let me be clear. Every one of you holds a position of influence. If you're a manager, a supervisor, a coworker, an employee, a friend, a parent, a child, a sibling, or if you have ever spoken to anybody in your entire life, you are in a position of influence. When I managed college, student, college students at Georgia Southern University years back, uh, working at the recreation center, a female personal trainer that I managed came to me and told me that her boyfriend got her pregnant. She was very distraught and worried about school, worried about her job, and worried about her parents and what the family may think. And in that moment, I was in a position of influence. So I had to choose my next words wisely. I could have condemned her actions and possibly put her into a deeper state of despair. I could have told her uh, or judged her and judged her actions, and that could have destroyed any trust that she would have had of a, uh, a, an adult role model. Instead, I used words of encouragement and empathy, letting her know that things would be okay. She needed a friend, not answers. She needed someone there to know that they supported her and would walk through her with that. 
Because you have the ability to influence others through what you say to them, you need to always be mindful about the words you use. Are they uplifting words or words that will influence them to make positive decisions in their life? Or are they judgmental words that break them down and, and possibly influence them to make bad decisions in their life? When you speak to people, you have the ability to influence those decisions. And James loved using metaphors when he wrote his letter to help convey the message. And he gives us a few examples of how influential your words are, which leads us into point number two. Because you're influential, you need to know that your words are powerful. In verses three through five, James says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. James is intentionally using size differences here to show how powerful a small thing can be. The small mouthpiece controls a large horse. The small rudder controls a large ship. And a small tongue makes grand speeches. Even though the words might seem minuscule or insignificant, they can have a huge impact on those that hear it. In sports, coaches are always looking for the right words to motivate their athletes and motivate their teams to go out there and win the big game. I remember playing in high school, we had this assistant coach who was one of those inspirational characters that used his words wisely and really encouraged us and motivated us to the point where we would run through a brick wall. That's how fired up he got us. When we go out there in the second half, we were a completely different team solely because of the words that he said, the words that inspired us to do more. As Christians, we take the words of God spoken through his messengers and allow it to influence how we treat one another, who we marry, how we spend our money, possibly even how we name our children. Phrases like love your neighbor or Jesus came to serve, not be served, or the Christian mandate of go into all the world and preach the gospel. These words, though written on a page and are only a few of a few thousand within Scripture, have shaped how we live our lives. Though the tongue is a small part of the body, what we say with it has great power and great influence. Have you spoken encouragement to others when they desperately needed to know that somebody was there with them, that somebody was in their corner? Have you said thank you to the person laboring tirelessly, uh, sacrificing their dreams so that you could be successful? What have you said lately to someone that has reshaped how they look at their entire life or how they look at the world around them? Look around at people in your life. What have they said to you that has influenced how you live your life? Who was that mentor or friend or family member? And what did they say that pulled you out of that dark time, that helped you stay on the right path, that helped you keep moving forward? Though the words may have been simple and short, they had the power to keep you moving forward. Words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use this force constructively with words of encouragement or destructively using words of despair. There are dangers and sometimes an uncontrollable nature to what we say. Though we can lift people up, we can also say things that tear people down. And the third point when choosing your next words wisely is, uh, is to understand that your words are volatile. Volatile. 
James lets us know the negative side of our words in verses 6 through 8. He says, But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. A biblical scholar said, No other part of the body destroys as much of the godly life as our mouth. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And what we say to others can be an expression of that sinfulness in our hearts. We lie, we gossip, we insult, we ridicule, we corrupt, we curse, and so on. What we say can express the evil within us, and sometimes it just runs wild. With the advancement of technology, bullies have moved from schools to online. It has become so bad that there are laws in place to help prevent people from verbally attacking or discrediting people to cause harm. Most state laws, policies, and regulations require schools and districts to implement a bullying policy and procedures to investigate and respond when bullying occurs. Kids who are bullied are more likely to experience depression, anxiety, decreased academic performance, and in some rare cases, might even retaliate with violence. In 12 of 15 school shootings in the 1990s, the shooters had a history of being bullied. They had a history of people putting them down, a history of people ridiculing them with their words to where they felt not valued. There was a short period of time I used to watch The Real Housewives of Orange County. If you're familiar with that, you understand where I'm going with this. Uh, but if you haven't, it's okay. It's a good thing if you haven't seen it. There was really nothing else on. I only watched it for a short bit. But I was captivated at how these women were treating each other in the show. Their words were so hurtful. And at times, when they get together for dinner and alcohol was involved, they would go off the rail. I couldn't believe that people would treat each other like that and use such volatile words that had the sole purpose of hurting the other person's feelings. Many people are compelled to give voice to any passing feeling, thought, or impression they have. We randomly dump the contents of our mind and our heart without regard to the significance or the impact it's going to have on people. Now, I'm sure we can all think of a time when we had an uncontrolled outburst and we possibly even regret what was said to this day. Maybe an argument we have with a spouse, a sibling, a friend, where harmful things were said to one another. You might not have even meant what you said, but in the moment, it was an expression of how you felt at that exact moment. Earlier in James's letter, he tells us to be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to anger. He knew that we have a tendency to quickly express our emotions through what we say. Unfortunately, if, unfortunately, when I was playing soccer in college, I said some very hurtful things to my teammates and my coach. I was a captain, I was in an influential position, and I should have been encouraging and lifting my team up, but instead, I was doing the opposite. We were, we were losing that season, we were terrible, and I was just getting so angry, where one day during practice, I pulled a younger player aside, and I tore into him with my words. I ridiculed him basically made him feel like he was not a good player at all and that we did not want him on our team. I destroyed his confidence with my words. What I chose to say 
was incredibly volatile and ultimately resulted in me being dismissed from the team. As James would tell me, my tongue was on fire, and it set ablaze many relationships, and it pulled, away, pulled me away from the positive influence that God wanted me to have on the lives of those that were around me. What have been the results of you letting your, fly, your words fly out uncontrollably due to the building frustration you have with someone in your life? How many marriages have ended in divorce because of the volatility of what they said to one another? If that was you saying hurtful things, how has that affected people's view of you as a Christian? James is writing this letter to, to us so that we know that what we say can greatly affect our relationships, but it also has an effectiveness on our ministry. It affects our ability to carry out God's purpose in our lives. You have influence your words are powerful, your words are volatile, and lastly, point number four, your words have a purpose. James really hits home the double-mindedness of his audience. He does not like it when someone does one thing and then does something completely different contradicting it. As followers of Jesus, we should be consistent in who we are and what we say and how we treat people. But sometimes our speech can be polarizing. James says in our final few verses, 9 through 12, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come both praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The early Christians were praising and worshiping God, but then cursing others at the same time. The Greek word for curse means to speak evil upon someone else, but there's a little bit more to it. In the context in which they would have understood it, it doesn't mean just to say bad things or to cuss at them. James is using it in the sense where if you curse someone, it was with the desire that they be cut off from God. That gives the situation a more meaningful contrast because we are to praise God and we hope for people to be in a loving relationship with him. But then because of how we treat one another, it creates a separation from God. A separation which is contrary to God's purpose when he wants us to be together. How can what was created for one purpose have a different purpose? James gives us three examples of how the origin or source of something has a single purpose and should do no, nothing else but serve that purpose. Both salt and fresh water cannot flow from the same spring. A fig tree cannot produce olives or a grapevine produce figs. These are rhetorical questions, meaning the answer is an obvious no. It's similar to us saying an apple tree can never produce oranges or a pear tree it will never produce Grapes. None of these things can happen. A freshwater spring can only produce fresh water. A fig tree can only produce figs and so forth. They were created with a specific purpose and it should not ever deter from that purpose. But sadly, we do exactly that. We were created in God's image to live in a relationship with him, in a relationship with others, and in a relationship with his creation. But when we say bad things to other people, we are contradicting that purpose. We aren't living in that loving relationship with people. Instead, we are creating a separation between us and God, between us and God's creation. 
I read a story of a pastor's experience with this duality or contradiction when he was a teenager. He was in the youth program at the time, and he was learning about his faith, but he heard about the indiscretions of a pastor who was sleeping with his secretary and embezzling money from the church. The boy ended up leaving the church, but still kept some of his Christian friends, but they didn't prove a benefit either. The problem was every Christian he met was terrible at being good. They just happened to be really skilled at covering it up and giving the impression that they were good Christians. The boy saw firsthand what it was uh, like to be created for a single purpose, being people in a relationship with God and living a godly life, but yet they were serving a different purpose. They were living for themselves, living for their selfish ambition and acting corruptly and evil. When he was 27, he met two men who forever changed his view of Christianity and ultimately brought him to Christ. But both were covered in tattoos and occasionally used swear words, and they drank beer at the bar. They, on the surface, they didn't fit that stereotypical Christian uh, of what a Christian would look like, and it confused him. But what won him over is how those men loved him, how those men loved others. It was the way they shared openly about their hurts and their repeated failures. It was the way they loved their wives and how they spoke so positively and so highly of those wives. It was the joy they had in the midst of tears, in the midst of deep suffering. It was the fact that they did not pretend to have it all together. In fact, when the boy asked the men questions, if they didn't know, they simply said, I don't know. They did not pretend to be anything else. We shouldn't speak one way at church in a different way at work. What you do on Sunday should be the exact same thing you do on Friday. Like a spring of fresh water, what we say should be refreshing. It should be good. It should be nurturing. It should be positive. It should be encouraging. It should be loving. That is our purpose. Let's live up to our purpose and be the light on a hill in a dark world. Let us shed that stereotype that sometimes pops up, sometimes pops up, that Christians are hypocritical. Let us live up to our calling and fulfill our purpose with how we should treat one another. Let the words we say be like a freshwater spring and not produce salt or bitter water. As we leave today and as we conclude, and you talk with your family, you talk with your friends, you talk with people that happen to cross your path, what words will you say to them? In Proverbs 16.24 it says, Kind words are like honey sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. As a person of influence, choose your next words wisely. Your words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, to humble. We must discipline ourselves to speak in a way that conveys respect, gentleness, and humility. Before speaking, take a few moments to contemplate what you will say and how you will say it while considering the impact that it could have on the listener. Be kind to all and speak words that are beacons of inspiration, enthusiasm, and encouragement to everyone. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let God's words influence you today. Our Creator has spoken to us, and He has used words that will guide us and teach us how to live our lives. He also tells us that because he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life.
If you have not made that decision to follow Jesus, maybe today will be the day that you allow God's words to influence you. Maybe today he is speaking to you and he wants you to change something about your life. If so, don't let his words fall on deaf ears. Let his words influence you to make that decision to take the next step in your faith. Let us pray. Father God, we are so incredibly thankful for who you are. We are so incredibly thankful for the words that you give us through scripture, through your messengers, through Jesus. We are thankful for how you guided us and how you continue to guide us to live our lives. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit give us, give us words of inspiration, of encouragement, so that we can share your love with others. Father, and help us suppress the evil, the sin within our hearts, so that our words are not out of anger. Lord, we just ask that you be with us and that your words guide us and that you can speak through us so that we can reach the world. Lord, we just thank you and we give you all the blessings and we just ask that you bless everybody here today that is watching and listening from home. And Lord, we pray this in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen.